1: Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host Petey Pob and welcome to another edition of 8th edition Tactics 101 where we talk about all the phases of the game. Today we're going to talk about the shooting phase and I needed some help. I'm I'm terrible at this game. I've I've decided this. So halfway through the series I decided to bring out the big guns and three of the best 40k players I know. So, first I have Mr. Mitch Pelham, hey uh, one half of the Best in Faction podcast. How's everybody uh, doing? M- Mr. Nick Nanavati. Um, you guys might have heard of him, uh, but if you haven't, check him out at Knights at the Game Table. Hey, guys. And, of course, the Don, Mastodon, Mr. Don Hooson of Plague Burst Crawler and Death Guard fame. Hey. Mm-hmm. So, guys, sh- the shooting phase. Uh basically, I, I've always thought of it as, as kind of like the phase that that's been optional. I, I've always personally enjoyed the movement phase um, and felt like if your army didn't specialize in the shooting phase, you should just completely ignore it. Um, though I do completely I do consistently get beaten by armies that do work in the shooting phase. So my question for you guys is immediately right off the bat, why should people focus on the shooting phase in the first place? why is it also, so important
2: that's an interesting question because i'm going to say i don't know that it's what you focus on but it's the phase that can screw up all of your plans if you don't execute it right just like the movement phase and the assault phase but it's uh i would say the biggest thing about shooting is the, the thing we're going to talk about first probably is target priority it's really Im- that's probably the most important thing about the shooting phase it's your ability to remove threats obviously it, it's one of the phases where you only score points by killing things. Whereas in assault and movement, obviously you're moving. You can get on objectives. The only thing you can do in the shooting phase to get points for an objective is to shoot someone off of an objective. So it requires a slightly different form of, or like a different thought process than when you approach the movement phase and whatnot.
0: I'm gonna say that the shooting phase is the most important phase to have a plan against. You need to be able to handle your opponent's shooting phase and when you're building your list and when you're designing your army, but you don't necessarily need to incorporate a powerful shooting phase yourself. It's something you just need to prepare for and acknowledge, but you don't need one yourself.
3: And I'm going to echo both those sentiments where basically the shooting phase, I believe, is where a large amount of most armies' work gets done as far as clearing off the table from everything. If you don't have a strong shooting phase yourself, you need to find a way that you can mitigate what they're able to do to you so that you don't have that much work done to you.
1: Okay. All right. So that's a really good first opening lines, guys. Um, so for the rest of this episode, I've decided to go with a new format. Uh, I'm going to ask a series of questions, and the, our guests are going to answer them in a roundtable kind of discussion. <clears throat> we'll try to keep arguments to a minimum, but if they do have arguments or counterpoints to each other uh, and the discussion keeps going, we'll just let it keep going. Um, so moving on to the second question. What are some common mistakes you guys see people, specifically newer players, uh, making in the shooting phase, uh, it, it, both in a and in general, kind of like across 40K's history?
2: Ooh, that's a great question. I have one that jumps to mind. Um, specifically, and I think that both Don and Nick will uh, echo this, it's feeling like every single unit that has a gun needs to shoot.
3: I definitely so, agree with that.
2: So I have seen, and it's not just new players, but I've seen so many different times in games where people are like, oh, well, I'll shoot that scout squad at that big cultist blob because they don't have anywhere else to shoot. But by doing that and shooting them, that your opponent is able to pull some models off so that something else can't shoot or the charge gets longer, so on and so forth. It can really screw up the plans you have for later on in the turn or the next turn. If you don't think through the consequences of, it, hey, if I kill this many guys, where is he going to pull them from? What's going to happen? What's going to be the consequence?
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
2: Yeah, I think especially now with 8th uh,
3: edition, where you can pull casualties from anywhere in the unit, you can't, as the uh, aggressive person, the one firing the weapons, you don't dictate where the models get pulled from. Your opponent does, which you have a plan for. If this gets removed out of line of sight, what else can still shoot? Because I've had it before where you start unloading and then half your guns are just out in the wind because they have no targets left because your opponent was smart and pulled the right way.
0: And to go even more basic, since Pablo's question was kind of directed for beginner players when you're just starting out and you don't really understand how to build an army properly just because a unit has options to take a lot of guns like a space marine tactical squad can take a heavy weapon a special weapon a combi weapon on the sergeant doesn't mean it's necessarily in your best interest to spend those points to buy those guns every unit you take should have a specific role in your brain on how it should function on the table so giving it weapons that synergize and add to that role or you know, cohesive eyes with the role are what you'd need to do. So, not every unit needs to take every weapon it possibly can. And every. Sometimes taking cheaper weapons that aren't as powerful are more effective than taking just like a last cannon in every squad.
1: Right. And that's actually, I think, one of the the big mistakes I see people consistently making is, is they'll add like. I guess in 7th edition it was a lot more common, but they would add like a sergeant with like a combi weapon. And then he would occasionally use it sometimes. Or, or they would just add like. Two different weapons in the in the same squad, like a melt gun and a las cannon, because your squad can take it. Um, but but I I do agree. I think I think when you're spending points uh, and you're looking at units and in their shooting efficiency, which which is the next question we'll get into. Um, I think it's very important to look at a unit and maximize all of all of its efficiency, but especially its shooting efficiency, um, because with shooting you have the tendency to leave models out in corners um, where you think their ranges will matter, and then in turn, if they don't have good shooting efficiency, they're essentially not doing anything else for you but staying in a corner and shooting like one thing, which which can be which can lower your army's overall efficiency.
2: So uh, another uh, big mistake I see not just with beginners but more so with beginners um, is uh, splitting your fire too much, which is something you can do in eighth a lot more obviously in uh, seventh. If you had split fire, you could do that, but in eighth, since everything can shoot at anything. People will try and get stingy with their shots and be like, okay, well, mathematically, you know, these three guys shooting at those scouts will kill them. And I've got these two other guys. I'll just shoot them at something else because I can try and spread out my firepower and be more efficient. That is something I've seen over and over and over again bite people in the butt. It's happened to me. I think it's probably happened to everyone here where you're just like, oh, I feel like that should be enough. And then they make one more say than you thought. And there's one guy with one wound left standing on that objective. And all of your plans are, are kind of screwed.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think overall, the overarching theme here is everything in 40k is option based, as in, you don't have to exercise your ability to buy a weapon for a squad, your ability to shoot a squad if it's going to cause a charge to fail somewhere else, or your ability to split fire if you really need to kill a unit off the objective. So, really, it's understanding some restraint and knowing how to not overextend your shooting phase or how to not buy too many weapons is really a mistake that's. M- common amongst all players of all skill levels, not just beginners.
2: Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing I would add to that is uh, going right with that, with that knowing what you can and can't kill, and how much shooting you need to put at it is target priority and thinking through the consequences of what you can shoot at. So, for example, when I was playing a BAO against uh, Daniel Olivas, uh, you know, obviously excellent Unari player, my Castellan had nothing to shoot at really. Other than, I mean, it could have shot at a, like a wave serpent, a couple of things, nothing really great. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to kill uh, the the uh, two Venoms that he had because that's going to leave me some Cabalite squads that are going to be easy kills for my mortars next turn. So having a plan and a purpose for your shooting and knowing, like, because I knew for sure I could kill those Venoms. 100%. Like, it would take a freak uh, set of dice for me to not be able to kill two Venoms with my Castle. So that's like an example of overkilling with a purpose. Because I I'm not gonna I'm gonna get two kills, which I'm never gonna outkill Yanari, so I don't worry about that. And then when I, I I I'm giving myself I know I'm gonna get at least kill one or two next turn with my mortars. And then my mortars have something to shoot at.
1: So to to play on the flip side here of, of this of um specifically shooting and target priority and, and kinda over overextending yourself, um you hear this phrase kind of thrown around, around a lot to like kill something until it's dead. Like, like for example, with Necrons, uh, you, you shoot a unit of destroyers until they die because they're so durable. Is there a point when units become too durable that you just have to ignore them in the shooting phase completely? And then you need to add something in your army to deal with them later. Or is the shooting phase? Cause I feel like in the charge phase, people always charge everything they can and that's in general true like obviously you you don't charge every option you can but when a unit is you're setting up a unit to charge you usually charge that unit but in the shooting phase not everything shoots all of their potential targets right because mm-hmm. there's so much more because you have such a bigger range
3: sure you know, so, and one of the so, biggest reasons i think why that is is because uh granite is jumping into the charge phase kind of but what they're doing there is they're stopping your working units or shooting units from being Mm -hmm. able to be usable in the following turn unless you have special rules that allow you to.
1: Okay. So my point, or so I guess my question is, is when you you have that durable unit, like you have a Riptide surrounded by like a billion shield drones, right? You don't want to shoot at it clearly. Um, Where do you, how do you decide target priority there? Do you shoot at the unit anyways? Does it really depend on like the mission deployment and all that? Um, Just kind of in general.
0: I think this goes back a bit to how I said you can ignore the shooting phase, or not ignore, you need to have a plan for the shooting phase. So if there's certain units you can't interact with because they're just too tough to kill with your firepower, let's say you brought a ton of Stormbolters and you're playing against a Riptide or an Imperial Knight, you can shoot all the Stormbolters in the world and it's going to take you two and a half weeks to kill one of those things. So instead of doing that, maybe your plan could be use terrain to hide, mitigate the damage that they can do to you. Or maybe your plan could be let them come to you and use other means of damaging them like smites or combat um so you don't necessarily have to be able to kill all the targets in the game to have an effective list you just need to have a plan for them built within your list it doesn't have to be shooting
2: yeah so i think that kind of goes back to understanding what your list does and what your list doesn't do like the list i built doesn't kill hemlocks it doesn't kill uh reapers like i just lose the elder i know that the my space wolf list but it kills Imperial Knights for the well. I have a plan for them. I have a plan for Hordes. I just don't have a plan for Eldar. So, like, knowing what your list is good for and what your list is bad at. It, so, like, if uh, a way you can mitigate your opponent's shooting phases we, um, is obviously out of line of sight or out of range. But there's also lots of, uh, you know, hit modifiers. There's cover. There's all these different ways to mitigate your opponent's shooting. And that can really feed into how you plan your shooting phase out. So if you are, ki- so let's say you're playing a horde army. Well, then what you should, what your shooting phase should be about is killing the things that can kill your horde. If you're playing against a, a knight and, a, and a, a bunch of guardsmen, well, the guardsmen are going to be the problem because they're what's going to tie up your units. They're what's going to fight you on objectives. The knight can only be in one or two places, and it's not, and it's never going to put out enough wounds to kill your horde. So having a plan, as uh, you were ta- or as, as Nick was talking about, for your shooting phase is important. And target priority usually tends to run off of either what's on the objectives I want that'll get me points that I can kill, or what, what is going to be effective at killing my army, and how do I get rid of
1: it? Okay. So, so is it fair to say that the shooting phase is probably one of the more versatile phases in terms of what, how you can approach it? Um, For example, you could take a heavy shooting army and blow your opponent's face off, or you can have complementary shooting like mortars and snipers and little things that supplement your units that you kill for ITC points if you're playing ITC, for example, Uh, and then have like an army like Nick Donavati's uh, Battle for Zafation Ultramarine's army that I I saw largely use shooting not as a a, um, focal point, even though you had Gilliman, um, but as kind of like an accent a thing to pick up a couple free kills or something here and there.
0: Yeah, I could. I feel that like you could make an army competitive ranging from next to no shooting to 80 to 90% shooting and everything in between. So shooting is probably one of the phases that you can choose to emphasize as much or as little as you
1: want. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. Uh, when you're looking at, at what units to add to your list that can shoot and their role is to shoot. What are, what are the hallmarks of a, an efficient shooting unit?
3: Uh, usually what I look at is how many shots can they fire? Will they have enough range to be able to always interact? Will they have ignoring line of sight? Is another really really powerful rule that a lot of uh, weapons can have. Um, but yeah, there's also, based on the units, bliss skill. Per how many shots they fire. Like, say that you have your Vindicare Assassin, he fires one shot with a Bliss Skill of two. It's guaranteed that you're going to roll one at least once during the game. Um, versus, you know, you have a mob of 30 boys with uh, shooters. They're going to hit the broad side of a barn plenty of times, even though they're only hitting on fives or sixes or sometimes sixes. Especially now with the new Daka 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 rule. That's Do you
2: fair. think.
1: Do you, do you think that the vindicator uh, assassin? Oh, go, go ahead, Mitch.
2: I was going to say another thing. The uh the th- thing because uh Don mentioned making sure that they have the range to continually engage. If there, it's a shorter range weapon system, so like I'll I'll use an example I've been using frequently lately. Aggressors, um, you need to have a delivery system for them because they only have an 18 inch range. But an 18 inch range, if you put it, you know, almost midfield covers. Thirty-six inches of the board—that's half the board. So all of a sudden, you uh, that that distance is less important if you're able to get them into the right position. So outflank, deep strike, things like that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, a lot of what Mitch and Dom and Ted are completely true. A lot of it is what qual—what kind of firepower is it? Like a lot of okay shots? Is it like one or two elite shots? Um, generally speaking, you can't rely on like sh- weapons that fire one or two dice rolls total to reliably do their job, because the odds are you're just going to miss or fail the wound or it'll pass his invulnerable save or something like that. Whereas you can rely on 30 shots to have a relatively average number of hits, a relatively average number of wounds, a relatively average amount of failed saves, just because it's using weight of averages, sample size kind of thing. Um, but then there's external factors that also factor in, like does the weapon ignore line of sight? Does the weapon ignore cover? Does it have any bonus things you can do with stratagems? Like, a weapon like an autogun isn't overly impressive, but when you couple it with potential of prescience for plus one hit and veterans of the long war for plus one wound, all of a sudden it can become a really scary weapon. So you have to look at everything kind of as a whole to see what combinations you can do as well.
2: Absolutely. The other thing that um, we're talking about, like weapons that, uh, you know, make... Might be one or two shots, um, things like that. The um, the other thing to consider is the range of your weapons. What you what do you need the range to be? So for example, uh, meltaguns seem like they'd be really good, but they have short range and they're strength eight, which means that most of the big things you want to kill, you're wounding on fours. So all of a sudden, that the range um, alone makes that a problem. If meltaguns were thirty six inches and strength eight, they might, you might be able to make an argument for them but because of the, the mitigating factors, So, like, that's why Laz Cannons are so much more desirable. Even though they have one less AP, and they theoretically would do less damage if you get a Melted Gun or a multi Multimelta into the proper range, it's so hard to do that for the targets you're going to want to hit with those weapons. Think about how how are you going to get the, the shots from the weapon to its desired type of target. Like, if you're trying to kill Knights, multi meltas aren't great because any good bubble or any decent bubble wrap is going to keep you from getting to them or getting in that range you want to be in. So you have to think about, okay, this weapon might have a really great profile, but how do I get it within an effective range and have it actually do its job? Because as soon as you start adding those mitigating factors, it might become much worse than it looks like on paper.
1: So obviously, when you look at a unit and its shooting efficiency, you have to look at its offensive output. Um, But there's also a whole other side, which is their defense. So would you guys prefer... Durable shooting platforms like night castellans and riptides surrounded by drones, or do you guys prefer more kind of looser, hyper-efficient shooting units like the scout bikers? Um, Harlequins have a lot of really good, like for example, their haywire shots. Um, Although I think the Harlequin skyweavers are, are probably durable and, and have a lot of good shooting because they, they're, you know, the four pinball usually makes them pretty durable, but, but which would you guys prefer? So like, like hyper-efficient, cheap easy to kill units or or durable tough platform shooting platforms
0: i think a lot of it really depends on your role for the unit so if you want something like a riptide or a castling to shoot and be your primary source of shooting for like 300 to 600 points depending on which one you're talking about you're going to want that thing to fire four or five six turns of the game and that's what they do Um, what makes those kinds of units so devastating is that they never really stop shooting uh, and if your opponent does kill a castle on turn 1 or turn 2, you probably end up losing that game because you were counting on that model shooting for 6 turns and you only got 1 or 2 turns of value out of it. Whereas if you're running something like Scout Bikes, um, which have a lot of explosive firepower with the 12-inch range bracket, and pretty much after they fire, they are most likely never going to fire again at that efficiency because they're either going to be in combat or dead or something like that. So. You go that you know that going in, like you're paying seventy five points for three scout bikes versus six hundred for a castellan. You obviously don't expect the same kind of return on investment
1: there. Okay. Well,
2: it's also it's about uh, what other roles can they fill, right? So, like a, a castellan is a very one dimensional model. It shoots. It's not good in combat. It's not. It doesn't have a ton of board presence. That's all it does. It shoots. Scout bites can do a lot of different things. They're mobile. They're um, if you're running them as blood angels, they've got some extra options. They can deal mortal wounds when they fall back out of combat. They've got lots of shooting. They can hide behind things so that they might live a little longer. So you can have multiple game plans for how you're gonna utilize that unit. And if they die turn one, you don't you're not gonna you know, like you're 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 not that bad off for it. You know, if you so, you know, but you're not going to build your list. I mean, most people, well, you can't with the rule of three. You're not going to build your list around scout bikers. You will build your list around a castellan. So that's a keystone unit. Like, if you pull a, a castellan out of the, of any list where it's designed to have a castellan in it, that, that list crumbles, right? So it's the same thing with, like, uh, Shining Spear or Hemlocks in an Eldar list. If you pull those things out... They're a keystone unit. Um, if you pull out Doom and Jinx, I mean, like th- those are all keystone units. That, that that list fundamentally has issues now that it, that because it, it was built around no having those things. So w- the question becomes: Do you want to build a, uh, around a keystone, or do you want to build something that can kind of soak losses from any particular part of the list and kind of work?
1: Yeah. So, and, oh, go ahead, Don. Uh, so there's
3: a couple of units that come to mind as far as the polar extremes of this shooting with the ability to take a punch and shooting without the ability to take a punch, but being much more devastating generally speaking. Which is like a unit of 600 points of Custody Spikers versus 600 points of Drop in Scions, um, which you just have to build your you know your battle plan around. Am I planning on having this unit, you know, take his board presence up? Uh, with like scions, you're all over the board probably you're hitting multiple different things for the same cost as this one or possibly two big bricks of custodes. The custodes generally speaking have a much more um, uh, set purpose as far as what their guns are effective against, but they're able to take more of a hit, but generally speaking they will not take out what your army needs to take out with those guns unless your army is built purely anti-tank so that helps out with ports. But with like the scions, they show up, they deliver their punch, and they disappear. That's normally how they work. But it's once more going to that fact of: Do you want your hyper effective shooting with the ability to sustain it, or do you want possibly more effective shooting where you need it at the time it's delivered, with possibly losing all of that evolving turn?
1: Okay. So, so Don, actually, I- I'm glad you you spoke last because um, I feel like you have a- another unique perspective on this particular ish topic. And that's um in regards to your BAO twenty eighteen list, you brought a Renegade Knight to your Death Guard list, and uh, skewed the the Plague Burst Crawler spam that you used to run. And that Renegade Knight, I, if I remember correctly, it was a, a shooting knight. It was either double Gatling Cannon or Castellan.
3: It was uh the double Gatling Cannon with the Ironstorm Missile Pod.
1: Okay, so so you you brought that Knight um mostly to fulfill a shooting role. Um, stomps are obviously really good, but. I feel like you brought that knight to kind of shore up some of the weaker shooting in your army. So, what did that knight? How did that knight perform in its role, and what was it kind of designed to target shooting wise in the meta?
3: So, um, the knight does really well against uh, heavy infantry, which is like Primaris Marines, uh, things that are multi-wound, toughness four, toughness five, like Custodes, uh, things like that, where it just throws out twenty-four shots. Because it's a Renegade Knight too, it gets access to the stratagem to re-roll all failed hits, which, uh, that's one of the other reasons I brought it, was for uh, Dark Eldar players. As soon as you mention this knight's going to re-roll all of its failed hits, they're almost always going to affect that thing, uh, generally speaking. Which, then you still want to shoot that knight at, you know, Dark Eldar stuff, and the Dark Eldar stuff still dies. So, it was a way to basically burn through the Eldar opponent's command points, while still being able to have an effect on walking up the middle of the board and just clearing out everything within 36 inches. And uh, so one of the other parts that I brought the night for was to help clear out every threat that could possibly endanger the Blight Lords that came down later. Um, because they had to usually wait until, well, they had to wait until turn two or three. And just being able to stop whatever their shooting could do against the Blight Lords helped them tremendously.
1: I actually forgot to say this to our viewers, or our listeners. Um, Don won the the 2018 Bay Area Open with kind of an unconventional list. He basically had a giant unit of Terminator Death Guard Terminators, the Blight Lord Terminator specifically. I think they're like seven hundred, six hundred points. How much are they, Don?
3: Uh, four seventy two. They're two points
1: more expensive than the Mortarian. Okay. Um, the, not quite as expensive as I thought they were, but um, the point is is that that that's kind of considered a faux pas um in general tournament play and so th- that's why I wanted to ask him about his knight because when you're investing so heavily in a perceived bad unit which I'm sure you'd disagree with me on that but um when you're investing so many points in that unit every unit choice after that unit becomes has to become hyper efficient or and um and, and important uh so I know I know Mitch said something that to, to add so, yeah uh,
2: so real quick though I mean the blight lords aren't bad because in his list because he had a specific job for them. that's sort of the thing is it's it, terminators are looked down upon because usually the people who bring them are just bringing them because they like terminators and they don't have a plan for them. Um, Don was utilizing them as this really useful blocking and board to- control unit that was just so hard to get rid of that it absorbed so much fire and to- and and just took took away from uh, what you could do against his list. Am I correct there, Don?
3: Uh, yeah, and the other part they did is they would wind up shoving people into the firing range of my other units.
2: Yeah, because you got to run away from them, because they will wreck you. Um, so I wanted to, uh, what I, but what I was going to say was, uh, the, um, the best way maybe to describe a good shooting unit is to describe what a bad shooting unit that looks good can look like. And the first thing that jumped to mind for me was the Repulsor, the, uh, Primaris, uh, like, Land Raider, basically the Hover Raider, um... It's got so many shots, so many Um, of all different kinds. You can put Laz cannons on it. You can put assault cannons on it. It's got bolters for days. It's got some weird missiles. It has all the shooting in the world and it should be durable and it should be good, but it's not. Why? Because it's a lot of points and it dies too easily. And this goes back to understanding the meta. If we were in a horde meta, there might be some value there because people would be not uh, building lists to kill tougher units. But because there are so many knights, because there are so many uh, because Magnus and Mortarion are so popular all these different big units everyone comes armed for bear and when you're running a repulsor it's not even a bear it's like, you know, kind of like a, a coyote. It's not, you know it's, it, if you are if you can kill a castellan, you can kill two repulsors. Um, and, and that's the thing, is they're a really cool and good unit on paper. There's nothing that says they aren't, other than they can only tra- transport Primaris, which is lame. But, um, but that's an example of like how they, a unit like that could be a trap. Don't get caught up unless you know you can keep something alive. If it's really expensive, but it has all the guns in the world, it tends not to matter. Just because if it's gonna die, that shoot all those points for that shooting don't pay off. And Nick was Nick hit on that a little earlier.
1: Moving on to, to my next question, um, I've always been under the suspicion that modifiers affect the shooting phase more than any other phase. Um, obviously, modifiers are still good. You want to reroll your psychic tests. You want to reroll your charges and your attacks and all that. Um, but in the shooting phase, because I, the shooting phase just feels less efficient and lethal than the other phases, in, in my opinion, could be wrong. Uh, but when you add modifiers, you get things like the Raven Guard Strat with a Castellan, and you get this really powerful, over-centralizing shooting phase. So my question to you guys is: is is how do mo are, are modifiers worth bending over backwards and adding to your list for shooting specifically? Um, and are am I correct or wrong? I, uh, we'll start with Nick. this I don't
0: think it's a matter that modifiers are so much more powerful in the shooting phase. Um, they're definitely more powerful than, like, say, the psychic phase, where you're mostly going to see, like, maybe plus one, plus two to cast. Although those are really powerful as well. Um, like, a modifier in the shooting phase should have the same impact as a modifier in the assault phase. Plus one to hit is plus one to hit. Rerolls to hit are rerolls to hit. Um, a shooting unit that has rerolls to hit is theoretically equally as valuable as a combat unit with rerolls to hit. The difference is, shooting modifiers are, for whatever reason, a lot more readily accessible and like capable of being accessed i guess like the raven strat is an example you just gave and that only works for shooting so it's not necessarily you're bending over backwards to get it into a list it's just this is the that's the way it works there's no modifiers for your combat strats it's just modifiers to hit and shooting
1: do you think if um you had a uh, two units that were exactly pointed exactly the same same stat line, except one unit had the Raven Strat, and the shooting was where was where their best weapons were, and then the other unit was the exact opposite. Um, <clears throat> and and they had a Raven Strat in the combat phase, um, you would say that both of their lethality is, is equal, well, I, or I guess they'd be equal. I
0: would say their potential is is both equal as far as damage output, but then you have to look at it more contextually with what your army is trying to do, what your list is trying to do, can that assault unit actually get to close combat? If yes, then those modifiers mean something. If no, then they don't. Likewise, let's say you have all the Raven Strats on the in the world on a unit of like Imperial Guard mortars. Or or better yet, like Imperial Guard heavy bolters, because mortars are no line of sight. The heavy bolters, while they may reroll all hits and all wounds, are still made of tissue paper. So they're just going to instantly die and never really get to reroll all hits and wounds. Whereas if they had indirect fire, or if if we're talking about the combat unit, the combat unit has some mechanism to get there, then those valuable rerolls will actually get used. So it depends what the platform is.
2: Um, So I, I think there's an important thing that we haven't touched on. And I think it's actually the reason that you, you're talking about how the shooting phase feels more swingy or however you or however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with uh, the to hit modifiers on your units. It has everything to do with the modifiers on your opponent's units. The shooting phase is the phase that has the most negative modifiers that you have to deal with. There's far fewer things that are minus one to hit in combat than there are that are minus one or two or three to hit in the shooting phase.
1: Hmm.
3: And yeah, I was going to say that about, like, the plague bearers. The, you have 30 plague bears with the minus one to hit psychic power. They're really hard to get rid of in the fight phase or shooting phase.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is that it's, it's the minuses to hit and cover as well. Let's not forget cover. But... The minuses to hit an opponent's units are, I think, what people often in their mental math fail to take into account. They just look at this unit, they look at that unit, and they're like, oh yeah, that should be able to kill that, without maybe doing the math of like, oh right, they're minus one to hit, and they're in cover, which means they have a, their three-up goes to a two-up, and yeah, it doesn't matter that that, a Reaper's T3, if it has a two-up save, and you're shooting something at it with almost no AP, and you're only hitting on fives or sixes. So, So, uh, oh, go ahead, Don. uh,
3: I was saying, just speaking of modifiers, the one that every Chaos player dreads, just going to the Raven Stratagem, which I think is even more powerful than the Raven Stratagem and costs less, is Vengeance for Cadia or the Relic of Lost Cadia <laughs> yep. on a Shadow Sword or the Relic of Lost Cadia where it's your entire army gets rerolled, failed to hits, and failed of wounds. It's the, it's the Gilman of the Guard Army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, so it's powerful.
2: so, so good. Yeah. it's It's stupid strong. Um, but yeah, that's the thing I think that people often forget about is it, and it, right now it's still super common to have all those different minus armies out there. You know, there's all the different ones you can imagine from, uh, obviously Eldar and, um, Tyranids are probably the, the, some of the, and, and Nurgle, those are probably the three that have the most minuses. Like, not, not, I'm not saying stacking, but just on different units, you can get them on a fair number. Um, uh pretty much everything in the Tyritid's army, as long as they're within range of the Neurothropes or the uh, Malanthropes. And then, obviously, Eldar just have it as Altioc and, and then they have a Stratagem, so there's a lot of flexibility there. And that's what gives their flyers such great durability. And that's, I think, the thing that people don't uh, do with the shooting phase. They don't look at something and go, Okay, that needs to die. Is there any realistic way for me to kill it with the shooting I have? No? Then that needs to be ignored or move blocked, or countered in some other way. Use psychic powers, use something else. Like, if you can't kill it, there are other options, but they aren't going to be in your shooting phase, because that's the killing phase.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to what I was trying to say in the beginning, so that's a really great point, Don. It's just, uh, you know, there are types of units, there's, the shooting phase in general is something you just need to have a plan for. That plan doesn't need to be fight fire with fire. You don't have to shoot your opponent back, or shoot him harder than he shot you. You can assault him, you can use psychic powers, you can use terrain, you can just play the mission. There's tons of of other ways you can interact that isn't just trying to shoot your opponent off the table.
3: Yeah, and Yanari aside, um, one of the reasons why Dark Reapers do so well is because they basically ignore
1: modifiers.
2: Yeah, and they have a much more stable shooting phase for it.
1: So, um, moving on to um, I guess actually, actually, one more question for for you guys. Um, in terms of modifiers, what are the best in general modifiers? Like, if you had to give a modifier to one unit, one single modifier, what would it be? Ben's <laughs> uh Individual, like like rerolls to hit, rerolls to wound, plus one, plus one to hit, plus one to wound, AP, a uh, plus one AP, you know that kind of stuff.
2: Probably rerolls to wound. Yeah, I feel like maybe re-rolls to wound or plus one to wound would be cool for a lot of guns.
3: Yeah, just to how the mechanics are for wounding things in this game, I think re-rolls to wounds is probably the more powerful amongst them.
1: And why, are, why is that... Where? Because both of you guys said wounds, and I imagine Nick is probably in agreement, um, but why is buffing to wound more important than buffing to hit?
3: So usually, as far as like re-rolls go... Um, Most units are not always hitting on sixes or whatnot, but I guess those really tough units like Imperial Knights, you're shooting your strength four weapons or even strength five at it, and you're increasing the number of wounds that you throw on that thing by a massive degree while still hitting on like threes or fours, possibly fives if you're orcs.
0: Yeah, but it's just mostly a matter of math. If you're hitting on threes and you give yourself plus one to wound, it's going to be hitting on twos. That's only. Plus one to hit. Yes. That's only an efficiency increase of like you're hitting on one third now, you're winning, or you're hitting two thirds now, you're hitting five sixths. It's not that much more percentage wise versus if you're wounding on sixes and you give yourself plus one wound, you go from sixteen percent to thirty two percent, which is doubling the number of wounds you would have had before. And
2: hmm. and then the reroll to wound offers basically the same advantage, just in a different way
1: okay all right so so you have your your efficient shootings um and talk about modifiers and the things you can add to these efficient shooting units um now what are you going to do with them so so we're going to talk about target priority now um obviously it depends entirely on the list right if you have a a list where it's just one unit target priority becomes a lot different because it Depends more on where units are on the board um, versus a list like the Castellan list where you have to decide if if I can kill the Castellan easily. Obviously, that's my number one priority. But if not, where does it degrade from there? So um, I wanted to ask each of you guys individually uh, examples in recent games you guys had where you felt like your shooting target priority really mattered. Uh, and then we're going to start with Don this time.
3: Um. So... I generally speaking tend to play a very very shooting based army, so and I tend to play a very very few units, few models for that example. Um, so for me, target priority is always huge. Uh, I have to figure out what's going to be the most devastating to me, what's going to be the most mobile, meaning you can get on objectives. What can obs uh, or that's just secured me often? Rejective. Try to mitigate however much of that I can before it is able to reduce my effectiveness throughout the game.
1: Okay. Uh, do, do you have any specific examples of in a game, like, maybe played like Tau or something?
3: So, um, one of the uh, recent games that I played against was against a uh, Castellan Basilisk, you know, that that army. Um, and what it wound up turning into was I need to get rid of all his Basilisks super fast because my entire army had invul saves on it. But the Basils were able to shove my saves right up to those Involve saves. Versus the, the Castle, and I felt like I could weather its fire with all the saves I could make against it. But just those really long-range shooting attacks while they were sitting on their own objectives were really hard to uh, handle. So if you're able to clear out their ability to hurt you, especially at a line of sight, um, it helps out tremendously. And that has helped me to win more games than I can
1: bear to count. All right, so uh, Nick, um, before you answer your question, I, I I've, this is something I've always wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does target priority look like if you're playing against Eldar in in general, like like against your inari list?
0: Um, so for those of you guys who aren't familiar with my like classic inari list, it's basically centered around two units of shining spears, and then you need dark reapers who I typically fire and fade in and out of like a ruin or behind a hill where they can't really get return fire. Um, and then I have like two Wave Serpents that are alien talk and a bunch of alien talk Rangers. So those are really unappealing targets to shoot at because they modify your hit rolls, which we just talked about. And uh, on top of that, they all the Wave Serpents also modify your damage output. So my army in general is really durable to shooting because it just doesn't present you with any really good targets. Um, most of my opponents, when I play that list, can't really shoot me effectively. But if they can... Pretty much every shot you can you take into a spear unit, assuming it's like a shot with at least an AP value of 1, so I'm not taking my 2-up armor save. um, 2-up from Protect most likely. Um, Or every shot you can that ignores line of Sight, maybe into a Dark Reaper. And, you know, most armies can't put out the firepower to just wipe these units off the table, but against that list specifically, every spear you kill is like saving yourself 10 shots in the following turn because of soul burst or something like that. So incremental damage really adds up against that army. If there's 8 reapers and 18 spears, there's a total of 26 models in my army that really do the damage. And if you can kill 4 or 5 of them but just by randomly throwing pot shots, that may not seem like much, but that's about one-fifth of my overall efficiency.
1: That's a good way to look at it. <clears throat> uh, and then do you have any examples from when you played like at Battle for Salvation, for example, with your ultramarine army?
0: Yeah, so I kind of want to tell a story that's a bit different. It's kind of the opposite. It's I played against a guy with three knights and five Lehman Rust Conquerors, and that was his list. It was literally eight models. And for those of you who don't know, my ultramarine army was just a pile of garbage. It was like Gulliman, some vets with some storm bolters, some scout bikes with bolters... Um, some scouts, a dev squad with one missile and one heavy bolter, and then a whole bunch of characters. So, I I didn't really I didn't have enough firepower to make a meaningful difference. Meaning, if my devs came out and shot, use the missile launcher, use the cherub, use the heavy bolter with the hellfire shell. I shoot, you know, all the storm bolters I have, my vets and my scout bikes. All that combined would kill like a third of a knight, half a leman rush, something like that. And that's not meaningful amount firepower. So what I actually did was I recognized that before it was too late. And I just hid my entire army to deny him the shots. Because I knew my firepower was less valuable to me than his firepower. So I kind of made the call where, you know, I don't want to give him the ability to make target priority choices. I'd rather just take all that away. So I hid and I played for objectives. I actually chose second turn in that game, which is something I want to talk about more later on. And using that i leveraged the ability to hold more objectives at the end of the battle round make sure i got my secondaries Try to deny him his secondaries and kind of play that kind of game because his firepower was just too strong for me so recognizing that when you are outgunned is something that's really crucial to winning the shooting phase war
1: okay that's really interesting. Uh, did you feel like his his target priority when he did have chances was good, or, or did you just never even give him a chance once? Yeah,
0: well, the part of what happened, what I did, is I don't let my opponent make choices, or I try not to let him make choices. So if he was ever able to shoot me, it was because I allowed him to, and I was okay with that. So while you have to have good target priority, which is being able to prioritize which units you have to kill and allocate fire to and allocate resources to... If, as the opponent, you can make it so your opponent is only ever able to shoot things that you're okay with him shooting, it removes the decision-making process out of your, you know, decision tree, but it also means you've effectively made the wrong choice by force.
1: Hmm.
2: It's about, it's also, it's about control. If you are willing to, or if, you're th- if you think about it in the terms that Nick's talking about, which is more, prob- it's more high level than um, a lot of people do, I would say, uh, but... It's about controlling the tempo and the flow of the game. If you can... So uh, I'll just go into my story. I, the list I play currently, the Space Wolves list um, that I've just kind of been honing, it's entirely... Uh, it's entire first turn is based on the idea of denying my opponent a kill. Um, which I can't always do, but basically I run three squads of Blood Claws with an extra Blood Claw and then a Terminator uh, with a Storm Shield. And I have those guys on the board and then I have some Dark Angels characters that I can hide. And I have a, a I have one maybe two space wolves characters on the table, and then I have like four space wolves characters, a wolfen squad, and all my aggressors, all in reserves. Nothing else is on the board. And the idea behind that is I can put my characters wherever I need to because against most armies it's not an issue. Um, if i playing against a the castle, and then I can I try to hide them really far back. And then I the Blood Claw squads are very durable as long as they're in cover with a two up armor and then a three plus invo model and um, are small enough squads that they can be hidden. So as long as I'm playing on a relatively uh, terra- like a well-terrained table, I can usually hide two of those squads and then put the last squad so far back that they're- it's just out of range for them to kill. Um, the idea behind that, and it actually also revolves around going second, um, as Nick was talking about, is that if they can't get a kill turn one, and um, my... Uh, my uh, Ravenwing Talonmaster in a speed on a, in a speeder can kill a scout squad or whatever that you have out there Just get one kill. That's a three point swing. And if they took old school against me, it's a four point swing because they won't get their first bullet, their first strike. They won't get a point for kill one, and then I'm going to get kill more, and obviously a kill. So that's that's a four point swing turn one, which means I'm playing from ahead every turn after that as long as I'm smart. So you can you can design your army to try and negate your opponent's shooting phase at least for part of the game.
1: So that's okay.
2: that's like anti-shooting. Um, on it's the like other.
1: anti, take away their target priority. Yeah,
2: but it's important to understand that the shooting phase. Uh, this is more for the people who maybe are struggling with dealing with super shooty armies, just killing their stuff. This is just this is more useful for them. But on the other side, when I was playing at T Shift, um. I was playing against uh, J.P. Mowat, uh, the, um, playing uh, Eldar and Dark Eldar. And he got my Castellan. He went first, turn one. He got my Castellan down to one wound. Uh, <laughs> turn one. One wound left. He doomed it. He jinked it. He fired everything at it. And that was, it just had one wound left. It wasn't going anywhere. And that, um, he let that one model surviving his entire army shooting at it, uh, basically break his focus on the game. And uh, and that kind of cost him the game because he still had all of his ravagers left. He still had plenty of, or he still had a few flyers left. He could have put, he could have gotten into the corner and really made me come at him. And yeah, I've still got a castle in, but he still got Vect, so it's not shooting at full efficiency. Um, so I was able to win that game by keeping my cool. So what I will say to the people who are um, who uh, who are uh, in a shooting phase and going second, or maybe you just had a, it, your opponent just wrecked you in their shooting phase don't panic think about what's the most effective things you can do in the moment you know plan for okay i can't do what i was going to do but what can i kill and let me make sure i i actually accomplish it don't don't split your fire if you need to kill that one unit so you can have a couple points stay in the game don't get greedy make sure you get that thing done if you're playing from behind you really got to consolidate that fire
1: okay so so, if you're on the perceiving end of that, let's say you want to build a shooting list. You're a Tau player, for example. Okay. Uh, and you want to build a shooting bait list. How do you counter someone just who's just hiding everything? How how do you counter that if for, with your list, for example? Um, do you do it in the list building, or is there like a tactical way well, to obviously outplay them?
2: You've got line of sight, uh, ignoring weapons. Um, Tao have access to that. That's not an issue. Um, they're pretty important. some. You, well, uh, yeah, I mean, but the. The smart missile system's like puts out a lot of shots. Like you, you only need to equip a couple guys with that to that give you an answer for like a couple units hiding. But what I would say is that it's so dependent on the list you want to build. Like I mean, when you talk about building a talus and how to mitigate that, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily The list building phase, I would say it's a lot. At that point, if you see that I'm hiding all of my stuff, then you really need to. If you see your opponent hiding all this stuff or putting it all out of range. Um, in the deployment phase, one you should be thinking, okay, I want to go second, because um, you you don't want to go first if you can't shoot anything. So I would say that's where it starts. Is if you see your opponent start to deploy that strategy, start thinking about, okay, what, how am I going to respond to that? And maybe you're like, okay, I can not get the kill, kill more this turn, but I'm going to get hold more, right? You know, sometimes you can't always mitigate what's happening, but you can try and counter countermand it somewhere else. If they're hiding all of their stuff, they're probably not on all the objectives. You, you might be able
1: to get, you know, a whole lot. Donner, Nick?
0: Yeah, I think it's something you need to hit in your list creation phase. If you're going to play an army that's all shooting, you're going to have to understand that your opponent is going to hide from you and you need a way to interact with those units. So if you don't have access to SMS or mortars or basilis or those kinds of ignoring line-of-sight weapons then you probably need to not play an army that can only shoot and you need to introduce other elements to your list like the assault phase. Um, that's you, know, like you don't see pure space marine gun lines winning due to a lot of reasons but one of the main ones is lack of ignores line of sight for a space marine army. So if your opponent can just hide behind a wall and then launch an assault on you or just hide behind a wall and score points at you, you can't interact with them. Now. How have SMS, Guard have artillery, Tyranids have Hive Guard if you want to make a Tyranid gun line. Those armies are capable of dealing with those problems. Um, But armies that can't really need to branch out and try to do other things as well. It's part of having a well-rounded force.
1: Okay.
3: I I definitely agree, especially with the, you see your opponent deploying defensively, elect to go second. Uh, if you have the ability to do so. If you don't, then maybe you might want to think about not giving them, uh, like I know what Mitch was saying, where you go off and grab the objectives. It looks like they're in a position that if you did that, then they pop out and pick up all those units. Maybe hold back just like they did. Deny them the ability to do what they did to you.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a a good point there. Um, I've had multiple games with uh, my co-host Colin. Um, in tournaments where we both have basically had to deploy super conservatively, and you're just like, well, I guess nothing's really happening until turn two or three. I've,
1: I've had those kind of games, too. You're like, oh, all right. Yeah. got to let things develop. Honestly,
0: at the highest levels of 40k, a lot of things don't happen until turn two or turn three.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was, for general people, that uh, for like the general person who's trying to just improve their game, you have to be okay with being patient. You may have a, a, a unit that you really want to use, but don't try and force their role to be like, oh, well, you know, they're supposed to hide and wait until something comes and then attack. You know, don't don't then just force them out because that's where your opponent is. Don't play, uh, don't don't play their game, um, play your game and figure out how you can make your game counteract what they're trying to do, their strategy.
0: Yeah, patience yeah. is definitely the least, the most underrated skill. There is, but it's one of the most important. It's okay to not kill a unit in a turn. It's okay to take a deficit in points for a turn or two to make sure you win your overall game. Um, you don't. You don't have to do stuff.
1: Actually, uh, I've got a funny story um, about that. When I played Nick Nanavati at uh, the Nova Invitational, in um, sorry, that was a uh, Star Wars phone call. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, but when I played Nick Navadi in the 2017 Nova Invitational, um, there was a point in the game when I I, I had like a Gilliman gunline list with a bunch of whirlwinds. It's kind of a weird, unconventional list, but it, it served me well. Um, Nick not, Nick was running the typical Malefic Lord, Chaos Space Marine with Emperor's Children noise Marines, um, and he had uh, I think a large unit of of warp talents. Yeah, that was that was a big into warp yeah. talents. And the entire time, I was thinking, like, why isn't Nick dropping down these warp talons? Um, you know, we've been we've been going back and forth, having a good game. I felt like I was I, I felt like I was matching Nick point for point, so I was really confident. Um, and then on turn three, Nick laid down the hammer, and I was looking at, it, I was like, why why am I miscounting his army? Where's his army? Then I remembered, oh shit, the warp talons are coming down this turn. They came down out of range of, of my ability to deny his, his warp time. he came, They came down, warp timed, and then charged everything, like, like, not even kidding, like, everything in my army. And then Gilliman was all of a sudden very overextended and not buffing as many units as I wanted him to and not able to protect the the units that he was supposed to. And then Gilman died to a murder sword chaos champion because of a of misplay on my part. Um, but the point is, is that Nick, even though he could have dropped in the warp towns early, he waited for that perfect... Turn three, basically throat punch, and just ended any chances I had of, of even winning that game. Um, and it, it was just it was really well crafted. Thank you. Um, but but that's just kind of an example of uh, of being patient and, and waiting for the right moment. He could have came down, dropped the warp talons, maybe tied up a couple whirlwinds. Um, but then that in turn might have let Gilliman like kill them or or not put Gilliman in a position to die to the Merge order or, or for whatever reason. Um, but he kept them in reserves.
2: So I know that the the question that was asked was give us examples of good or bad priority. But um, I, I think I I would like to try and summarize it a little bit uh, for the shooting <laughs> <Okay>. phase. <laughs> kill what will get you points. Okay, that, that's it's really that simple. Like if you're gonna if you're if you're if you're a shooting army, don't shoot the thing that you want to kill because it's scary. If that's not going to get you the points you need, if that's not going to win you the game, don't get caught. That's where bad target priority is, right? Like, uh, I I had this problem uh, at the last tournament I was at. I was playing um, against uh, a, a friend of mine, Devin. He plays Chaos really, really well. Um, and Aramon had just been a pain in my ass all game. All game. Just, that guy just was driving me nuts. And he kind of overextended him. And I'm like, you know what? I can get him, I can send one of my uh, my uh, wolf lords after him and take him out. That was a stupid move on my part. I killed him because I wanted to kill Armon. It cost me points and it cost me the game. Um, I was—I mean, I was playing in that tournament to have a lot more fun than anything else, but that was a huge mistake on my part because I just got caught up in wanting to kill that model. That was his bad Shoot. target priority. I'd
1: kill Armon too, I hate that guy.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean like when you're when you want to shoot something, think how is this contributing to my overall game plan and getting me points. Ask that question because if you're just shooting some guys because you want to shoot them, you're probably wasting shots somewhere.
1: Okay. All right. So uh, <clears throat> uh, we're going to move on to um, something I wanted to highlight, uh, and that was a, a prominent member of the Age of, Commuter, Age of Sigmar community. Uh, once told me that if it wasn't for the shooting phase, uh, 40k would be a significantly better game than Age of Sigmar. Um, of course, his stance being that Age of Sigmar is better than 40k because of the nuance. Um, so, ba- basically, is this true? Is the shooting phase too lethal compared to Age of Sigmar um, or not? Uh, going from
3: the game that I played of Age of Sigmar, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they get the double turn. Their ability that all their damage spills over to everything in the unit. You get a couple cans that fire at a unit, and the unit's just gone. It's ridiculous how much damage you can put out, especially, like I was saying, if you get that double turn where you go and you guys roll off to see who has the initiative for first turn, second turn, and you get the ability to go again, you're picking up half their table right there.
0: I have played a more like five times in my life, and it was about a year and a half ago. But just from a 40k perspective, um, I I understand where he's coming from. And that if you don't understand 40k well, and you just put your models on the table, and your opponent has more guns than you, and he shoots you off the table, it's going to feel like the shooting phase removes all the tactics and the nuances and the strategy you can employ because all your stuff just died. But that also enables you to overcome the shooting phase, play better, build a better list, and then mitigate your opponent's more powerful shooting phase. And then it opens up a ton of tactical viability. So shooting in a way is kind of like a gatekeeper, where if you don't, or if you aren't prepared for it, you're just going to get annihilated. But if you are prepared for it, you can set yourself up to play a really amazing tactical game. So I would say the shooting phase is both what separates what makes 840k worse if you're not good enough at it and better if you are good enough at it
1: that's really astute well I've never i never thought I, about that
2: yeah i mean I, I would say that the shooting phase is the is the easiest phase to wrap your head around so i think it gets a lot of a, a lot of frustration because people look at it and go well, obviously because anyone can take can take a bunch of guns set them on the table and shoot at their opponent right so i think that it's not just that there's a it's an, it, it, uh it's something that we have actually talked about on our podcast before it's the it's the it's the floor and the ceiling of skill level and there's really no floor for a shooting army other than target priority right there's no pre-rack you know you have to pick efficient shooting units and make sure they have line of sight maybe depending on what you're using and shoot at your opponent so it can seem very dumbed down um at the same time, the nuances that can come out of understanding, um, like, especially especially when it comes to characters, um, uh, psychic modifiers, there's a bunch of different things that you can use to enhance or or, or uh, uh, make your opponent's shooting phase worse, then that's where all the skill and nuance and finesse and everything else comes in. And understanding that, um, it, it, I think that what happens is People who play against like gunline armies and lose, it feels like you got hit with a hammer, right? Like it, it's a it's it's a body blow. It's not. It doesn't feel good because it. Uh, a lot of the times it's just pulling models off, right? Like it, um, if especially if the there's not the right amount of terrain or you're not you know um or you know depe- you get a really bad deployment. Um, for example, when uh my um Colin played against uh, Yanari at BAO and it was Hammer and Anvil, and he's playing close combat Nids. And he's just like, oh, I can't win this game because the, the, there's just no way for me to get to where I need to go fast enough to to live through the shooting. So that can that can feel kind of um, unfun. But that has more to do with table design. That has to do with mission design and a bunch of other things. So I don't I don't think that the shooting phase is to blame. Um, I do think that with the uh, the one thing that I, I find very interesting is uh, going from seventh to eighth. Is the whole sixes wounding anything? And obviously, that's not just the shooting phase. But that's such a different... That was one of the biggest changes to the game for me because it made um, hordes much more viable because they can always hurt something and they always can have a purpose. And I think that actually the shooting phase has become more interactive in that way. But at the same time, once again, if you're getting shot off the table and you don't know how to fix it, you, you haven't gained that information or that knowledge and you don't have... the uh, a group of people that you play with that can help you learn how to do that. It can be immensely frustrating. Um, so it's. I think it's more about accessing the tact the tactics to mitigate the shooting phase can can feel a little bit mysterious, which is why you know the podcast you're doing right now is very helpful. <laughs>
1: um. So so my kind of general takeaway from, from that conversation with him, and I think you guys all made very good, valid um things that I wish I had at the time mentioned to him. Um. But I, my biggest takeaway was that. Uh, terrain seems to kind of be like the big factor between Age of Sigmar and 40k um, in terms of what makes the games worse or, or what makes their because I mean let's let's look at let's look at it this way Age of Sigmar and 40k are very similar in everything but sh- the amount of units that can shoot but that's pretty much it they're almost identical and also uh, the amount of terrain Age of Sigmar there's a lot less terrain terrain isn't as important there's no ruins so what I'm getting at here is is how important is terrain um, to shooting, and specifically affecting shooting, um, because obviously if there's no terrain, you get Planet Bowling Ball, which is a very commonly used phrase, uh, which is basically implying that a shooting army is shooting your opponent's um, your army off the board like bowling pins. That's where Planet Bowling Ball kind of comes from. So, uh, terrain is obviously important to some degree, but what is what is your ideal terrain setup to, to make the shooting phase balanced and, and fun and interactive?
3: I like to make sure that um, at least there's enough terrain on the table that at least some units can hide. Um, there's also a whole lot of units that ignore of sight, but just having the ability to, for one, get that cover save for... Especially like Marine armies, they need that plus to their save, otherwise they just disappear. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just having enough on there that you can, for one, like, roadblock the really big units that can't walk through that piece of terrain like a knight around a ruin... With a wall on it, or um, just having somewhere that you can hide all of your, you know, mortar teams, or even like a predator hide that thing behind a wall. Granted, I know predators aren't that it, uh, commonly seen, but just use that as an example. Somewhere where something can hide for at least one turn of the game.
0: Yeah, I think it's very important not just to have line of sight blocking terrain, which although that is very integral to it, it's also to have. Line of sight blocking terrain, regardless of what deployment style it is. So that means in Donivore you need somewhere to be able to hide. In Vanguard, in Spearhead, in Hammer and Anvil, all of those deployments obviously dramatically affect how the game is going to play out. But you need somewhere to hide in all of those deployments. So that that would be what a well-balanced table looks like.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with Nick there. That's probably the hardest thing right now. Um, is that there is. You have this random deployment, uh, which I like. I like the, the deployment. You don't know what deployment you're gonna have go, going into it all the time. But with that comes the issue of you can really put you you you're, you can end up in, or you can put your opponent in a really unfun situation where because one of you got to pick the deployment zone and it, the terrain was you know it's very hard to have enough pieces of terrain for both table quarters. And then um, you know what is it the spear the spearhead, whatever the pointy hammer and anvil and then you know like so like there's so many different varieties it's very it can be very hard and like one you know one setup that works really well for most deployments might end up with shooting you know like lanes that go the entire table for uh, you know another deployment and that so it I feel like they're they're almost a per, like a, a, the, the, I think that whatever TO comes up with, a like a, a pre up, uh set uh uh basic terrain layout so that you can use different pieces of terrain but they have a, a a basic amount and so for every deployment it's different so you roll for your deployment and then you arrange the terrain accordingly um it wouldn't would negate a lot
1: yeah uh, and, and i think the main reason why i wanted to cover this topic guys is um because there is a little bit of a stigma attached to the shooting phase as we've we've briefly alluded to um previously in the podcast. <clears throat> um and and I think a lot of the stigma comes from lack of terrain on boards. Um so so a couple of years ago, this was kind of the the running joke um in, in a lot of the forums that, that Reese and I would go on to specifically, and that was that the the European would would talk about how how really powerful these shooting units were, like like the the bikes, the Eldar bikes were, and, and we'd always kind of like scratch our heads and go like, well, the combat phase isn't that bad in Seventh Edition, and you know, there's all this interesting nuance. I don't know why shooting is so powerful, and then we'd start getting like pictures of some of the terrain, and not not just your, I'm not I'm not just picking on the Europeans here. Um, this is across the board and at a lot of other tournaments, but the the funny thing was is when you'd look at some of these tables that these people would play on, there'd be almost no terrain, and then that would drastically affect the the meta and the perception of how the game is played right and that was back when when you had like d weapons that would just you know remove entire units on a six no questions asked and so terrain if you had no terrain you were in a lot of trouble um because you were just removing models left and right because of because of d weapons um so when you're when you're, on your, when you're looking at a table and you're setting it up, uh, either for a casual game, a tournament, or, or a practice game, or whatever, um, you always want some level of terrain, um, especially when you're teaching new players. Because if you don't, it kind of focus, for, reinforces that stigma against the shooting phase, which in turn can lead to um, a negative impact on our hobby and how people view the game of 40k, um, which we don't want, obviously. So we don't want people to perceive like that every table is like Planet Bowling Ball and shooting is unfun.
2: Well, so for anyone out there who's like, okay, so what do I put on my table? You really want to have some area terrain, obviously. So that can be woods, that can be ruins, whatever. I like to see like about three three, three distinct levels on the board. It doesn't have to be every single piece of terrain by any means. But, you know, you have a building over here that has a couple different levels on it. And then maybe you have a hill and, you know, you, you can... Mix up that variety. Look at it and be like, is there is there a couple different places on this map that you can definitely hide a tank, or get cover on a night? You shouldn't necessarily have to be able to hide it, but you should be able to get cover on it, right? Like, think about like the models you know that exist in the game, and how they're gonna how they're gonna fit on this train, how they're gonna be able to hide, what they're gonna be able to do. And obviously, I, I think I think people would be disappointed if I said have fewer buildings. Mm-hmm. Completely enclosed Places. buildings are, 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 uh, can be a very frustrating thing in the shooting phase too
3: <laughs> I actually agree with that completely I think that um, the building is notorious right now is the Necron building for the ITC where it's all enclosed on top too uh, where you can't see in it if you are not infantry or have the fly keyword you're not interacting with things inside there unless you ignore light of sight I think that Every building should have some opening in it to where a dreadnought can walk through or a Carnifex to walk through. Just something that allows them to get inside, especially if there's a no detective in the middle of that.
1: Yeah, I, I if you'd echo like that to, per- as well,
0: I really dislike terrain features that certain unit types just can't interact with at all. It uh, just, you know, invalidates certain things entirely and really impacts what you see and what's viable. I think in a negative way
1: so on a completely unrelated note uh time to step in for our sponsor frontline gaming if you would like to purchase terrain if you're a blood angels player a tyranid player a close combat lover and you are having a hard time against shooting armies you can purchase the robot city terrain at frontlinegaming.org under the itc terrain tab throw that right on the table assemble it paint it up pretty throw your army in it and laugh as your opponents cannot shoot at your army um, of course, I am being one hundred percent serious, uh, and I want everyone to take them so that close combat rules," he said okay, sarcastically. I play close
2: combat armies. That's that's I, I, lo- <laughs> I love being some close combat, but I, it is it, the, it's the interaction issue that can definitely once again kind of end up in that. <clears throat> it's the same thing of like if someone puts their mortars in a in a little enclosed building that you can't see them, and they're just going to shoot out. You know that can be very frustrating for people.
1: Yeah, uh, in and in, in all seriousness, I do I do agree completely. Um, I think that the best pieces of terrain are are ruins with holes um but like l more l-shaped ruins that, yeah. that are more walls than actual leveled squares sure. um that that knights have to like go around to interact with but like smaller infantry units can kind of charge through um, you obviously i don't you don't want them too close together and you don't want them to be too big um but I, I think those are kind of the ideal, some of the ideal ruins, um, if you had to pick them. That and tiny ruins, like like really small tiny ruins off in the corner, I'm, I'm completely okay with that too, because those can really help you put a foothold in your deployment zone, which which I think is very important, no matter who what you're playing.
2: Hey guys, um, I have to step away for about uh, eight minutes or so, I'll be right back, I gotta take care of someone, I'm sorry. Hi, someone's at my door.
1: No problem, Mitch. So he's gonna mute himself, and and gone. so we're going to go ahead and move on to the next um <clears throat> question uh I, we, we kind of touched on this a bit um but how do weaker armies defend themselves from shooting based armies um specifically tweaking your lists so if, if you're looking if you're looking at someone like maybe um maybe you have a hard time dealing with like Stellans, or maybe you have a hard time dealing with with specifically shooting efficient units uh and you're building your list well what are some of the kind of keystones and, and cornerstone units that you look for when you're building your list to mitigate shooting.
0: So There's there's basically, in my opinion, two good ways to mitigate shooting. Maybe three. Um, one is to hide um, using terrain and things like the character rule to mitigate how much effectiveness they can have. Uh, my ultramarine list that I took to BFS, we brought it up earlier, that was a prime example of how you can do this. So, to recap, it was like, 15 scouts, some scout bikes, uh, a whole bunch of characters. And what I would do is, much like how Mitch hit his whole Space Wolf Army turn 1 to try and deny a kill, I would do something very similar. I'd put all my scouts into a line of sight blocking Ruin. I'd hide my scout bikes behind a hill or a Ruin or something like that as well. My characters can go wherever they want because you can't shoot a character unless it's the closest model, and I'd make sure my scouts were somewhere in the middle of the board out of line of sight. So... Couldn't shoot my scouts because they were hiding. Couldn't shoot my bikes because they were hiding. Can't shoot my characters because they have the character rule. You can't shoot anything on turn one. And I think that's a really viable method for nearly every army since most armies have units that can are infantry and can just hide in ruins and stuff and characters that are punchy and can make use of the character rule. Another way which I think you can do it is to either use speed or the ability to deep strike and charge to dodge the shooting phase things like shining spears and gene stealers with Lord can move north of 40 inches a turn and then charge something so they can hide all the way back in the furthest corner of the table catapult themselves forward like a missile and then charge the enemy like that to avoid being shot altogether and other units like blood angels with sanguinary guard and their three six charge strap from descent of angels or even you know, Sean Dayton just won BFS with Dark LR Witches with just, you know, rolling on 9-inch re- re-rollable charges. Like, if you can deep strike to avoid getting shot, then launch some charges off, make one or two, you can trap models in close combat, avoid being shot altogether, and that's really how you're going to best mitigate gun lines.
1: Okay. Um, Don? <laughs> well,
3: I know uh, one of the greatest parts of the FAQ, in my opinion, that has come out recently that does help mitigate gun lines, especially for that turn one punch, is the prepared position stratagem. Um, I usually tend to run really tough, durable units that usually can't get into or find enough cover to guard them, whether it's, you know, plague burst crawlers or whatever is big. Um, and aside from titanic units, it works to basically count your entire army as being in cover, which does help out a lot more than you'd think. Going from a 3-up to a 2-up on toughness, 7, 8, whatever models, is a tremendous boon to the durability against the vast majority shoot.
1: Hmm. I actually completely forgot about that stratagem. Um, that, that can change shooting math completely. Uh, have you had ever a chance to use it, Nick?
0: Yeah, I've used it one time. Um, I was actually playing Custodes recently against uh, an Eldar list, and he had, I don't know, 12-ish Skyweavers and 9 or so Reapers. <laughs> so I chose second turn and popped that stratagem to give my whole army one-up armor saves, and I was playing with like 15 Custodes bikes, and those guys, being not infantry and giant flying models, are really hard to get in cover naturally. So it was nice because it allowed me to have a 3-up save from all the Reaper shots, which are only minus 2, and I would still retain a 2-up save from all the Skyweaver shots because they're only minus 1. So it really allowed me to take this thing off its first turn firepower.
1: Nice. Uh, so an- another thing I-, I think I see that people can add to their list that we didn't mention um, was the idea of a distraction carnifex or, or big durable shooting death star units, which we kind of t- t- touched on a little bit. Um, but the idea of a distraction carnifex is this big unit. You typically don't worry about your opponent shooting at it. You want your opponent to shoot at it. And that's because your opponent's going to waste their shooting of uh, their efficient shooting on this unit, giving your other units either a position to score, putting them in a the position to score or putting them in a position to to fulfill their roles better um and so i i think you don't see as many distraction card effects as these days i, I think the riptide with the shield drones is probably my best example because it, it's a uh, I consistently see people shooting both the riptide and the drones thinking like oh if you want to kill the riptide just shoot all the drones and then your opponent's thinking like yeah you can spend all your shooting that can kill my opsec infantry on these little four point dudes with a these deceptively hard to kill T four four up dude four point dudes, and then my big Riptide that that misses half the time anyways, because all my marker lights might die. Um, but what are some other distraction card effects stars? Um, things that you guys see when in the meta right now?
0: I don't know if I really see too many, and if I do see them, I don't think I see them successfully. I I don't really value the concept of a distraction card effects too highly because to me, it's just I took this unit on the hopes that my opponent messes up and shoots it, because Mm -hmm. by definition if you want your opponent to shoot it, then your opponent's probably better off not shooting it. So if your opponent just makes the correct choice and chooses not to shoot it, then you've lost the value because you took a unit hoping your opponent would shoot it. Does that
1: make any sense? Take that, Pablo, (laughs) in your face. (laughs) Uh Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: So I I don't think Distraction Carnifex is a viable strategy slash tactic at all. I think it's just a a banking on your opponent to make a mistake is not a winning strategy in my opinion. That's pretty much what that whole concept is.
2: Hmm. So, so I, go ahead. Don. I do
3: think that um the typical distraction carn effects now needs to both be able to fulfill the role of taking a beating while still doing something productive. Um the two common ones that I use a lot, uh the Bite Lord Terminators were a notorious one. Show up in the backfield and they had to either deal with it or leave it alone. Which more often than not, people try to deal with it, and it's hard to get rid of. Or Plagueverse Crawlers are another big one that they can basically screw up people's plans as far as whether they're even able to shoot, um, whether they have enough firepower to even down one if they're attempting to do that. Uh, then you also have things like Bulgrins, or any of those really, really gonna, tough, durable units. I'm going to throw, throw
2: just... in Wolfen there. Wolfen are an amazing <laughs> Wolfen definitely can be with Storm Shields.
3: But they need to be able to serve or uh, satisfy a role beyond just taking a punch. Yeah, If taking a punch is all you need to do, people would just run Poxwalkers or Plaguebearers or Pink horrors with a thousand
1: extra points. Just
3: If all that you're doing is trying to get punched in the face,
2: that's all you have to do.
1: Okay. What about Night Gallant's?
2: They're, they can they can be pretty effective. I th- I mean I think the whole idea behind the distraction card effects is that it's something that if they ignore they're going to be punished for, or it which is one which is mm. one one way to do it, or it's something that actually isn't that scary or expensive for you, but it to them it looks scary and it changes how they play. Right, those are kind right. of the two ways you can go about it. So yeah, like uh the gallant is actually punishing if you let it get near you. But you also have to look at, like, if you're running that gallon as a distraction card effects, do they, you know, you, there's going to be a lot of times where they're like, okay, cool, I've got 60 conscripts. They're going to go take care of your gallon. I, I, I just did it for 240 points. I'm good. Hmm.
1: <laughs> so. that, is, that, that has happened, actually. Um, I, I was really sold on Night Gallants a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> and then I played against uh, Frankie and some BioVores. And he kept a Night Gallant basically within two inches of where it started the whole game because I had no way to get to his biovores because he had a large infantry screens. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of soured on them a little bit. Um, but but I do, I do kind of see your point, Nick. Um, and I think you are correct. And I think that's also why we see Distraction Carnifex is a lot less, um, especially now that Death Stars don't exist. Um, it really, really like in their seventh edition form, I should say, I guess the form of Death Star does exist. Um, moving on to the kind of the final question, um, before we start wrapping up, what are, what are the best shooting armies that you guys see? Um, I guess not, not like, uh, factions, but specifically army lists. Um, and then what are, what are army lists that you think are kind of weaker to shooting that, that, uh, better shooting lists can take advantage of? Bueller, Bueller. Um, well, I so. think we're all trying
2: to think of specific lists. Um, mm. I, I feel like, uh, like great shooting. I mean, the, obviously, any like Eldar is, is going to be a, a great. Obviously, the, um, the 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 Nick can talk about his twins for Yarnari because a lot of people think that's a combat list, which I mean, it's great at combat, but man, is, is the shooting
0: brutal. Yeah, that's uh, definitely, I wouldn't call it a combat or a shooting army. I would call it just a very flexible, well rounded army, but its firepower oh, is pretty insane. Uh, yeah, but no, I, your I question, just think people underestimate it. Yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, Pablo, I think Tau is kind of the poster child for 40k when it comes to just shooting, and they do shoot really well, specifically, I mean, you could make a list out of... Three commanders, three riptides, a bunch of sniper drones, some fire warriors, some shield drones to keep it all together. You could instead make a list of long strike, three hammerheads, maybe some devilfish full of fire warriors, and that also shoots a ton. And most Tau is very, very shooty. Um, but I also think that a lot of Tau is very vulnerable to being shot back as well, and they don't handle it too well aside from drones and riptides. Like, for example, if you bring Long Strike and three Hammerheads to a tournament, you have a ton of firepower that hits on twos. It's really quality, long range, a lot of SMS that ignores a lot of sight. That That's just a very good detachment. And then you run into a Castlin. Should that Castlin go first, you're going to lose Long Strike and another Hammerhead turn one. Now you can't really interact with that Castlin and kindle it off, and he's probably going to dominate the entire game from there. So it's Hello? a very kind of glasshammer y stylist where yeah it shoots a ton but it also can't take a punch back and that's one of my issues with a pure shooting army you in order to shoot you pretty much have to put yourself in harm's way and should that not work out for you you're kind of just you know out of luck
1: okay so what about what about like Astromilitarum? i know Astromilitarum have a lot of really they're pretty much known for shooting um traditionally um do you think there's something there's more merit to like Astra Militarum because of their durability? Because their shooting is both cheap and and you can run a lot of it. Uh, um,
2: so so Militarum struggle right now just with the number of minus to one and minus two uh, hmm. modifier to hit modifier armies out there. Um, that, not that it's not that they aren't good. It's just that they 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 have amazing shooting if you know how to utilize it because it's volume of fire. Um, specific builds that I foresee being good with in, uh probably involve vultures um, with Punisher cannons um, because that that's one of the best shooting units you can get. Thirty uh, what is it? Forty strength five shots for 160 points um, with plus one to hit against things that don't have fly. That's pretty good. Um, so you can be hitting on threes if uh, if you don't move, which you can do with a vulture. So that vultures are a really great shooting unit. Basilists are very hit and miss. Um, I like them a lot more than um, the uh, uh, what is it? The Medusa. Uh, my 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 brain has just decided not to work. But uh, I, I like them a lot um, because of uh, the AP three. That AP three is a big deal over AP two, and Strength nine uh, in a night meta can be really useful. Guard actually these days tend to be a lot more just bodies and board control and. If you're playing pure guard, you're going to see probably a shadow sword. That can be hit or miss again. What can make guard shooting really good are the uh, the forge world vehicles you can get that can give you plus one to hit or let you re-roll all hits. So you have the salamander command vehicle, which can give you plus one to hit for 135 or 137 points. I don't remember anymore. It got, it got bumped up. And then you have the... Trojan support vehicle, which I think is ninety five or one hundred and five, right in that range, um, which lets you reroll all all failed uh, hit all failed hits. So that that can be really effective when paired with a shadow sword with full sponsons. Or um, I've actually been looking more at the stormlord lately, just because I, I love me a stormlord, and all of that shooting is tends to actually be more effective in the current meta than a Shadow Sword where that big gun often doesn't have any really great targets after a couple turns because it's either killed all the small, squishy vehicles or it's died to a Castellan or other knights because they have a hard time getting through their invos and it's too swingy. So uh, I think that actually the Storm Lord could be a lot of fun and uh, offer a lot more options. Elysians are also great just because they're cheap and you can have drop plasma, drop snipers, a lot of different uh, toolbox um, shooting units there. And they still have that order that makes all of their weapons assault. So you can, if you can get within six inches, you can throw all, uh, ten crack grenades, ten frag grenades, and shoot all of your las guns still with that order. So that's pretty good.
1: Um. <clears throat> so uh, I, I guess post FAQ, um, I know Chaos Space Marines had shooting options, although they haven't actually been. Their their shooting options haven't actually been a part of the meta in a while. Um, But what do you guys think are some shooting armies that might start popping up more post-FAQ now that some of the stuff has gotten nerfed, Um, if any?
0: Um, I know Andrew Ganyu is trying to make Death Watch work to some reasonable success. So while it's only like a small detachment of his army, 30 veterans is what he's been running with two Smash captains, and they've been doing a lot of work for him. So that's a pretty shooty detachment. Um, with all the special ammo and all that. So that's one thing that I, you could see popping up a bit more.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I've always been I've always been i have a love hate relationship with Death Watch. Um, I just haven't pulled the trigger on them. Uh, what about what about some armies that that are weak to shooting right now that um do you think are um, kind of suspect? Uh, you know, if someone wanted to make like an off meta death watch list, um, are there a lot of armies right now that are kind of um, kind of weak to shooting or or is is it pretty much just every army just has the ability to mitigate shooting and also i'm talking about in the meta in like the competitive tournament meta
3: i think most marine armies have a hard time against shooting armies they just can't absorb the amount of for like a better term daca that's being thrown out
0: I think Marines can actually mitigate it fairly well by doing kind of like what I did with Ultramarines at BFS, by just hiding. Um, Taking a minimal number of actual units and taking a ton of characters to keep your army alive that way. Um, I think that's, if you want to run Marines probably the best way to do it in the current meta. I would say like Chaos is probably the most vulnerable to shooting right now. And that's not to say Chaos can't compete at all. They definitely can. Um, But they... They kind of just put themselves on the board and say, "Shoot me," and hope it doesn't kill them.
1: <laughs> why can't and you run? Course. Why can't you run like a chaos list similar to your ultramarines list? You
0: can, but the characters you and I've, I've tried to recreate it with chaos. The characters that chaos has access to just don't do the same kind of stuff that marines do. Well, chaos has a lot more support and they do a lot more smites from Thousand Suns, they have some unique stuff like the Forbidden Gem from Demons. Um, they just don't have like the efficiency of like a straight up smash captain, and that's a huge difference right there.
1: Okay, um, what about what about Necrons? So, so Necrons are an army I perceive right now as the only competitive lists uh, are basically shooting Necron lists. Well, it's mostly because Test Vaults can't do anything else really. Um, you know they they obviously have some psychic powers and well, good psychic powers, but um. Why? Why do you think a list like Necrons with their shooting-based armies? Why do you think that faction isn't working?
0: I just think they're overcosted.
1: It's just overcosted. It's
0: straight up Fair across enough. the board, everything in that book is overcosted by like ten to twenty percent.
2: Yeah, they are definitely overcosted. Yep. Um, they also, um, it, if you build a shooting Necron army, you can run into some issues because you you can end up only not participating in two phases of the game, which is the same problem Tau can have. So you're already probably not participating, or well, I mean you aren't participating in any meaningful way in the psychic phase. And if you did, if you build a shooting Necron list that doesn't have any good co- close combat in it, then you're not participating in the combat phase. Which anytime you're not participating in two phases, and unless you're Tau, and even when you're Tau, sometimes that can be a bad thing, a pretty bad bad recipe, bad sign.
0: I will say Necrons don't have to be a pure shooting army. You can make Not pure assault necrons, but you can make some sort of hybrid, balanced necron force, and that's probably the most effective way to run them, um, for the reason Mitch just said where you can't ignore half the game and expect to win. Um, But that hybrid, balanced necron force is still just, let's call it 20% percent overcosted, And while that may not sound so, so bad, if you actually think about it, that means you're playing with 1,600 points to everyone else's 2,000, and that's just not really a fair game.
2: And it's not just that; it's also um, people don't realize. Like when I look at lists, part of what I'll do is I'll count how many wounds you have. Um, like generally, I'm not, I'm not. Like, I don't have a formula where I'm like specifically like, oh, you, you need to have X number of T8 wounds or something. But if you if you just don't have enough wounds, this is the Marine problem. You just don't have enough wounds on the table to last. And Necrons run into that too because um, the the reanimation protocols are just over overvalued by GW currently. They don't deliver enough, and if you're going up against a shooting army that's efficient and has good target priority, they're killing every unit to a man, and so it's completely negated, and you're paying for an ability that can be negated by your opponent.
1: Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, final final rundown. You guys, you guys are uh, sitting down, you're talking to brand new bright-eyed 40k enthusiast uh, and and they are asking you about the shooting phase, um, and what tips you can give them. Now, what do you tell this this bright eyed bright eyed person? Uh, starting with um, dawn. Um, Any little so tips? Of course, you
3: start off with the whole entire thing of let's play a game, figure out how it works, and then you just get into repetitions of play the game, play the game, play the game. Uh, since I mean, you can take the world's best shooting unit, and if you keep firing at the wrong thing because you're not used to it, uh, you're not going to do as well as if you take the worst shooting unit in the game and shoot at the appropriate target every single time, you're probably going to be more effective. You just need to get used to if I have this and I shoot at that, what's the expected outcome?
1: Mm-hmm. What would be the expected outcome?
3: Depends on what's the unit. I know the... Uh, when I'm notorious for the plague bear crawlers, those flamers are miraculously good at killing anything from titans to infantry to pretty much everything that is not a plague bear.
1: Okay. So Go, go on, Don.
3: Uh, I was saying, it's just getting used to what works in your army for what targets that you're picking. Okay. And knowing which ones you should prioritize.
2: It's target priority.
1: All right, uh, Mitch. Yeah. Tips, tips for the new, the bright-eyed new guy, um, for the shooting phase.
2: Your dice are not betraying you. Uh, whatever you just rolled was was well within
1: statistical
2: probability, so don't worry. Don't focus on that. Focus on why that thing that you shot at didn't die, and under and learn the math. Understand it. Understand when you shoot. Your your ten scouts with sniper rifles at, at your at that chaos lord who happens to have a mark of Nurgle. Why he didn't die, you know, like uh, be um like the the most important thing I I can I can think of is just people learn like like is training yourself to think out the results of what you're trying to do and then correcting uh, based on what you think will happen. So when you say okay, I need to kill those scouts off of that objective. They have a 2-up save because they're in cover with camo cloaks. I'm going to shoot... You know... 60 guardsman shots at it. Because I have 30 contracts. Well, they're hitting on 5s. So, that's really not... like. So, if I go, okay, well, then I'm getting 20 hits. You know, maybe. If I'm lucky. Uh, and I don't roll terribly. Uh, which can happen. So, you need to think about that. Uh, you know, don't think... What's the average and just stick to that. Think, okay, well, what if I only hit 10 times? What if I get 20 hits and four wounds no have a plan because if unless you're playing from behind and you're making hail mary's that you should not be in those situations and making and 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 feeling like oh i I, that should have been enough to kill him well if it should have been enough then it would have killed him you know like you 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 want to try and reduce that randomness you know in the you know because otherwise your shooting will not you're going to feel like oh once again, you're going to start going, well, my dice are against me. Or I just, you know, uh, you know, oh, that guy made more saves than he should have. And yes, that can happen. Don't get me wrong. I've seen someone make, you know, 17 four-up invos. You know, but, but if that happens, then you have to ask yourself, <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. Hold on one sec. Dogs. <laughs> um, if that happens, then you have to ask yourself, uh, how, you know, how would you mitigate that next time? Learn from it. Don't just say, oh, it was bad dice which is honestly the thing I see the most with new players.
1: Hmm. All right, Nick.
0: All right, so I completely want to echo what Mitch and Dom said. Uh, two of the things I preach a lot in my personal coaching business is one, to never blame dice. Even if you had backup plan for a backup plan for your backup plan and it still all failed, maybe you could have done something three turns ago that wouldn't have gotten you in that situation. There's always something you could have done better. And then also understand your math. So, you know, if you understand the numbers, you can make educated decisions on what to do. But aside from all that, I want to touch on the movement phase and how it relates to the shooting phase, because that's something that we haven't covered yet. Um, when I go and I start my turn, I take a second, figure out my game plan, and basically pre-measure everything. Because pre-measuring is an amazing tool that everyone has access to. So I, when I go to my shooting phase, I don't have to bend down and check line of sight. I don't have to bust out my tape measure to say, does this guy have range to that guy? I literally know what every model on the table can and cannot shoot and how it interacts with everything before I even fire a weapon. And that's so critical because it means you have a focused game plan from the beginning of your turn to the end of your turn. And also means you can plan your turn properly and accordingly. You're not really reacting in the middle of your own turn to what happens. You're just following in accordance by plan. And I think that's a really underestimated and underutilized skill that most players don't use.
1: Nice. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it. Uh, Nick, if someone were to hear more about, uh, wanted to hear more about your personal coaching, uh, where would they, where would they find you? Yeah.
0: So thanks Pablo. I offer uh personalized coaching and Facebook help and list help and personal calls, all that kind of stuff. If you're interested in getting better at 40 K at any level from uh Casual guy who beats up his friends in his basement to a guy who's four and one at every GT he's ever been to and trying to break that five and zero record. I can help you. I've won. I don't even know how many tournaments I've won anymore. And you can learn more about it at nights dot com. If you're interested in specifically signing up for my coaching, you can check it out at page dot Slash Pro Coaching. It's the URL for it. Knights is spelled with an N, not a K. It's misleading, I know. Um, But yeah, definitely hit me up if you're interested in learning more about that stuff. You could also just message me on Facebook. I'd be happy to have a chat with you. My Facebook name is Nick Brown. I'm sure you've seen me around on Competitive 40K or other sites. I'm not a hard guy to find. So if you're interested in upping your game at any level, definitely check that out.
1: All right, Mitch. I know you've you've used Nick's services, um, and you've talked about them. Where can people find out where you've where you and Colin have talked about Nick's services? Actually,
2: so Colin has been a customer of Nick's. I have not had the pleasure, um, uh, but uh, I have I, I have watched him coach, and he he does a very good job. Um, so. Uh, I uh I completely blanked on the name of my podcast. Sorry, uh, I do a, a podcast called Best Infection with my good friend Colin Sherman, and we basically we go to a lot of tournaments. I mean, a lot. He's going to back to back GTs, well, triple back to back. I think almost no. There's one weekend in there, so four weeks, three GTs. Um, uh, so and we cover the each game in detail, and we try to highlight the different ways that the games went and why they went that way to help make competitive 40k more accessible to people so we want we really try to dig into the minutiae of the different maneuvers you can use and the different things you can do and we also just like to talk about the meta and just helpful things uh, uh i'm going i think we're gonna cover um for uh, a little extra just like how to travel with models for people who are doing it for the first time so we just it's always just trying to be helpful we're just trying to help grow the community and help people not be intimidated by going to their first tournament
1: nice and finally mr macedon where can people find you online whereabouts
3: uh, so i'm normally on pretty much all the competitive 40k groups
1: uh especially
3: in the death guard group right now because that's my main focus this season um or just on facebook in general um don hoosen on facebook so
1: you can find me there all right on all right guys Thank you very much for listening. As always, you can go to FrontlineGaming.org for all of the show notes, the links to these guys' podcasts, and where you can find out more information about any of my guests. You can also go to FrontlineGaming.org if you want to purchase GW product, secondhand shop stuff, ITC terrain, FLG mats, if you have any questions about the ITC, and check out our sponsors, BrokenEggGames.com. Our sponsor, BrokenEggGames.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, you can email me, pdpob at gmail.com that's frontline gaming p-e-t-e-y p-a-b at gmail.com and you can also email me if you want to chat talk lists need to find tournament resources or any of that good stuff thank you guys this has been another episode of 8th edition 101 uh we've got one more episode to go maybe a second one we've got the fight phase slash charge phase coming up and then we might have an episode on just objective placement uh which i still have to plan out so you guys have a good one
0: Thanks, Pablo. Have a good night.
1: Have a good one. Later.